All right, again, I just want to welcome you all here on behalf of Barb as well and Jordan and our family. Very sweet and kind of you to come out. Uh, actually, the idea came about because Jordan has been asked to be the keynote speaker at a conference on Kabuki Syndrome uh, in the Midwest in July. And so this was a part of a way to just kind of collect your thoughts and start uh, getting ready to speak before an audience. And so um, she's going to do that. Now, she has asked me to kind of get things rolling to introduce uh, the beginning of the story and uh, just a paragraph description of what Kabuki Syndrome actually is. But uh, she wants me to uh, tell the story from before uh, she was actually born, because that's when it started. It started in the 80s, and I've got a nice picture to prove that. 80s. <laughs> that's enough laughter. <laughs> Quite enough. All right. I think, personally, we all look much better today, 30 years later. Yeah. I like her, your hair, Barbara. <laughs> I do not like mine, though. <laughs> All right, 1987. Uh, something was wrong from the beginning. And I mean the way beginning, the pregnancy. Um, Barb was threatening to miscarry. Uh, the blood tests revealed that it was not a viable pregnancy, that something was wrong. And that's why she was miscarrying. And so while we were drying our tears from the phone call, a knock at the door, a friend from Bible college was visiting unexpectedly and said, there's a prayer meeting right down the street. And I thought I'd drop by and see if you guys were interested while we were still grieving from the phone call from Kaiser. So we said, yeah, that sounds really nice right about now. We went to the prayer meeting. It was a, a very powerful time. And uh, people laid hands on Barb and prayed. We just felt really good. That night, uh, we, we were falling asleep. I was reading Psalm 86. And when I read the verse that we all read together, Lord, give me a sign of your good favor. Barb said, I felt something move when I read that line. Give me a sign of your good favor. This is the evening of the prayer meeting, the, the, the night coming home. And so at eight weeks along, it, you're not supposed to feel any movement because it's, right? You don't feel movement until about four or five months. And so uh, I, I just said, I think that's impossible. She said, trust me, I know. So, something happened when you read that. So we ordered a, another test and the ultrasound showed a viable pregnancy, and the words were, there's nothing wrong with this baby. You're, you're going to be fine. And so from that point on, when Barb uh, delivered Jordan, we named her Jordan for a place of a miracle where God parted the Jordan in Joshua chapter 3. And so, but it was clear when Jordan was born that we were not out of the woods yet because immediately she had a feeding uh, swallowing, breathing, reflex problem. She couldn't, from, from the moment she began to nurse, there was some kind of problem with getting oxygen. And right away we knew that something is not right. And that would come up later. We would find out medically what was wrong with her. 
Uh, well, uh, she started having those problems, the ear infections that required tubes to be surgically implanted. And, and what was happening is we were seeing all these little things, but nobody connected the dots to the diagnosis. So we were just treating the one little thing, oh, this other problem here. And so then we moved to Japan, and uh, just going to wrap up in a second here. And uh, yes, we got a few Japanese pictures here. Just Oh, how did that slip in there? <laughs> All right. Isn't that beautiful? All right. There's the three of them. Pretty cute. <laughs> All right, we'll keep that one up there. There were a couple close calls with near suffocations <laughs> and other various childhood mishaps. Well, I wanted to say it was in Japan that we noticed some severe delays with walking. Um, and speaking, but the speaking was the real problem. I, we could not understand her, and we didn't know why. We took her to a Japanese doctor. The Japanese doctor noticed the shape of Jordan's uvula was uh, misshaped, which gave a clue to her that she had a submucous cleft palate, meaning the cleft palate almost happened, but it was underneath the roof of her mouth. So you couldn't see it. The, the mouth was not formed all the way. And so that was the breathing and the feeding reflex and, all of, and the ear infections. All of it started to be tied to that. But that is another symptom of the larger picture. So she had to go to Stanford. She flew from Japan to Stanford's Children's Hospital and had a Z-plasty where they corrected that in the cleft of her mouth. She came back. I told the Japanese doctor the name of the doctor at Stanford that did the surgery, and she pulled a book off of her desk and pointed, he's the author of the book about the, that whole surgery. So Jordan had the, the, an expert in the field, and uh, I mean, what are the odds of that, to, to pull the, the book and say, this Dr. Kaplan? Yeah, that's him. And so... Uh, because Jordan needed some care that Japan couldn't give, we moved back to uh, San Francisco where we started a ministry there. And that is the place where Jordan is going to pick up uh, the story there in uh, San Francisco. Now, what is Kabuki syndrome? I'm just going to read the text, one paragraph. Kabuki syndrome is a rare multi-system genetic disorder which occurs in one in 31,000 births, characterized by distinctive facial features by which the syndrome is named. So two Japanese scientists discovered the syndrome, and, and it was called their, by their last names. But then because every, all the Japanese, all the, the kids who had Kabuki syndrome had some similar arched eyebrows and some of other features that I have a picture of that. It's Kabuki's, uh, Kabuki is a theater art form in Japan. And there's something about the heavy eyes and the arched eyebrows that all of the, all the kids have. And uh, so they named it, instead of by their last names, they named it Kabuki 
syndrome, which is just, when I first heard it, I thought, well, did, is it because we lived in Japan? But it was just, just a coincidence that it actually was discovered uh, by Japanese scientists. Let me finish this up, and then we'll hear from Jordan. Uh, multiple abnormal, abnormalities in growth delays, varying degrees of disabilities, and skeletal abnormalities. Oh my gosh, so many long words down here. Uh, the specific symptoms associated with Kabuki syndrome can vary greatly from each person. Hearing loss, blindness, issues with joints and muscle tone, serious heart and kidney problems. The exact cause of Kabuki syndrome was recently determined. It is on the basis of mutation in a gene called MLL2. So we didn't know she had Kabuki syndrome. We moved to San Francisco, and it was time to begin the American way of life. Those three kids did not have memories of America. They were Japanese. And then they came, and we started our life in San Francisco. Ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome Jordan Ryman. Love you, Jordan. Wow. <laughs> There's a lot of you. <laughs> Thanks for coming, guys. It means so much to me. Um, a lot of you have walked with me, held my hand over the last year, and um, I find it just overwhelming that this many people, I was only expecting about 20. <laughs> um, but it's an honor to just speak in front of you guys, God. I am so... Um, overwhelmed by what God's been doing, and I can't wait to share with you. I'm going to share with you about a little bit about what it was like growing up with Kabuki Syndrome, some of the stories, some ups and some downs, and, um, and you'll get to know me a little bit better. <laughs> um, I find it really fitting that the last time I gave my testimony was at Young Adults Group. And the last thing I said was a quote by Brandon Heath. And it was, um, he's not finished with me yet. And I had just started down the road of three years of medical kind of finding out if I did have Kabuki syndrome or not. And um, I, I did not know that it was going to take three years, <laughs> but um, it did. So here we are. We're going to pick up where my dad left. Um, Ocean Beach in San Francisco, California. We lived in a, in a white house, and it was beautiful. Um, I remember just looking at the beach and knowing we could walk there, you know. The first night, my parents tucked us in, and my brothers, Zach and Peter, there's a... Yes. My, my brother, Zach and Peter, were in the next room over, and we had all of our windows up, and we were all sound, almost sound asleep when we heard the lion roar come from 
outside, and it wasn't my brother's. <laughs> if it wasn't Monkey, then I would have thought it was PJ, but um, <laughs> it was not. We found out that the San Francisco Zoo was back a yard of our backyard, <laughs> and we got to hear the lions and the peacocks <laughs> all day. <laughs> And that was so much fun. We, got a, we had a zoo pass, and instead of going to the park, we went to the zoo, and we were going, Dad, come on, not the zoo again. And he goes, one day, you're going to regret saying that. <laughs> and I do regret it. <laughs> um, some of the challenges that I have of Kabuki syndrome, I'm very blessed to only suffer with a fraction of what the syndrome can offer. My speech is affected by Kabuki syndrome. A lot of my pronunciations is affected of Kabuki syndrome. My knees um, are affected of Kabuki syndrome. My teeth, I had years and years and years of work done to get what I have now. Can you go to the uniform picture? That's what my, that's the age that this all started. First grade. Um, I was so excited because I got to go to a school where I was not the only white kid. <laughs> and, and I did not get, I, I was so excited. Unfortunately, I had some hard time with my speech, and a lot of the teachers couldn't, couldn't kind of grasp that, and so I started into uh, speech therapy first grade. And um, I was slightly delayed. Um, I, I started noticing I was the only kid in my class that couldn't tie her shoes, and that actually goes with hand-eye coordination, and that's something that kabuki kids struggle with, and that's part of the reason why I don't drive right now. Um, it doesn't mean that I will never drive, um, but for right now, I cannot. Um, but second, uh, first grade was good. Second grade was when I f realized that my physical side was not up to par. Um, I had a PE teacher that said in second grade to me, Jordan, um, just sit down. You can't throw the basketball hoop. Just It's a waste of time. Just sit down. I was told, um, the whole group was told, run to the last line, and the last one back has to do an extra blap while everyone sits and watches you. And I already knew that I was going to be the last one, and I was. And so I ran that last lap while everyone sat and watched me. Um, I didn't know that that was part of Kabuki syndrome. Um, I think the hardest part of that, looking back, was second grade. I realized that the world was not nice. Not everyone in the world was nice. Um, I walked in to my school. I had been teased a little bit, not excessively much, um, but I, I realized I was a target when I sat down at my desk and in big, thick black letters were the words, I hate you, on my desk. And I 
remember just freezing up and going, what do I do? Like, and so I tapped my friend, Annie, my best friend, Annie Hoyer, and um, she, I said, Annie, what do I do? And she goes, well, you tell the teacher. And she raised her hand and she told the teacher and there was a big uproar and, you know, I was ushered out and when I came back, it was gone. Well, the next day during a spelling test, right in the middle, <laughs> in bursting through the doors like only my dad can, <laughs> no knock, just bursting in the door, came straight beeline to my door, to my desk, and wrote the words, I love you. And I got to keep that on my desk for the rest of the week. So I thought I was pretty cool. I switched schools in third grade, and I, I um, was in a small private school and, um, with my brothers, and I loved that because I loved loved, loved being with my brothers. I still do. They're one of my closest friends, and um, they have really helped me. But in third grade, I realized that I was not like the kids educationally. And um, we were in chapel, and it was Assemblies of God school, and it was a very moving service. And I remember sitting in the second row with my classmates and going, okay, God, if you're real, you can heal me. You can heal me and make me like the rest of the kids. And I believe that. I truly believed that he was going to heal me, whether it be overnight, whether it be the next day, in the week. I, I truly believed that. It was really a childlike faith. I, I was so sure. Um, fourth grade. Don't worry, I don't go through the whole years. <laughs> fourth grade. You, you, you. Sorry, my little brother's here. But fourth grade, we all moved back to Sonoma County. We lived, and I thought, this is where God heals me. This is where I am, I am just like the rest of the kids. The kids will be nicer. There will be no teasing. I'm going to go into the school year running, just full speed. And this school was the first year, so everyone was brand new. And um, I was the only sibling that got to go to that school. So my brothers went to a school across town. So it was really hard for me knowing that my brothers weren't going to be there. Well, the first day, I sat in my class, and this girl named Shayla Thompson next, sat next to me. <laughs> and Shayla Thompson, <laughs> I couldn't say her name because of my speech. And the lady in my teacher said, you have to introduce the person to your left. Well, Shayla Thompson was next to me. I couldn't say my S's. And the whole class just laughed at me. And I just, and I just sat down and I was like, it'll get better, it'll get better. Recess came around and I came up to the kid playing kickball and I said, can I play with you? Can I play? And they're going, no. 
because you talk funny. And I, I was banned from sitting with them at lunch, and I sat by myself at lunch, and the janitor felt so bad that he would give me his extra cookie. <laughs> so I worked him. <laughs> I sat along the recess. The yard students thought I was always in trouble because I just sat on the wall, and that was actually because no one would play with me. Um, I had speech therapy every single day during reading hour, and um, the kids teased me about that. And all I really wanted to do was to read Run McGee, Run, or as it's known as now, as Maniac McGee. I would sometimes forget to go to my speech therapy class, but my teacher would always call me back in. And every single night, I would come home crying, and I, my parents didn't realize how bad it was they said, Jordan, just stick it out. You can stick it out. And um, one of those nights, we had a guy living in our garage. He was named Troy Gossard, and he worked for the U.S. Coast Guard. And Troy overheard me crying to my parents. And the next day, I was in class. It was about, we had just came back from lunch, and everyone was silent, and all of a sudden, Troy Gossard comes into the room with his uniform on, standing in, and he, and he looks in, and he goes, I'm here to pick up Jordan Ryman. And the whole, there was like a hush. <laughs> like this kid, like, we're not going to mess with Jordan now, but that, you know, like, that, that helped. That really helped. Um, I stuck out fourth grade, and then I was homeschooled for the rest of my grade school and high school, junior high years. Um, I was really glad that I did stick it out. Um, I, I think I would not have been the person I am today if I did not stick it up. Um, memory for me is key, and it goes with Kabuki syndrome. Um, I was involved in the Wanas in junior high, and I recently discovered that I still hold the record 16 years later <laughs> for the most memory verses recited in one night, and it's something like 17, <laughs> but um, it's still record there. <laughs> um, one thing that really helped me get through everything was music. I was obsessed with music. And if you know me, I obsess with little things. And it's part of Kabuki syndrome. And I really just went towards that music whole thing. My main groups were Avalon. <laughs> you know, testify to love. <laughs> Plus one, my poor, my poor family and the boy band's phase of Jordan. <laughs> Daily Planet, who the lead singer, Jesse Butterworth, called me the Daily Planet Queen because I was their number one fan. <laughs> and... <laughs> 
If you had me as a fan, as if you were in music, you basically had the most loyal fan that there was. <laughs> I could tell you everything, when they were born, who they married, how, what's their social security number. <laughs> I could tell you everything. I still can. <laughs> so imagine my surprise last week when I checked my email and I found out Plus One's getting back together. <laughs> and all the screaming girls go, yay! <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was so I was so excited. But I still am. <laughs> but um Junior high and high school. I figured I, I was when I first started dealing with what was now known as anxiety. I didn't know how to express it. And so I dealt with it by myself, left in this just cold, what I felt, room, you know, and depression and social anxiety friends started becoming really, really hard to make. Um, I felt really alone, and um, the one thing I looked forward to and that really helped me was youth group and the youth pastors that accepted me and made sure the group accepted me. People like Ben Blush and Tim Rogers, Jacob Beckman, Chris Blostone, um, Sean Sage, um, Paul Sheeks, Zach Vesney, and most, uh, like, Colton Irving, and most importantly, can you go to the next one? Josh Jones, who right now is going through some stuff with his youngest that she's going to be able to stand up here 20 years later and give her testimony of what God did in her life this week. So we're going to be praying for Josh and Liz and the Jones family. Because uh, Ellie's, uh, yeah, Anna's our little miracle baby. And she's going she's gonna to pull through it. So I really, during that year, couple years, um, 10 years, actually retreated into my own world. Um, I was in this world where I was just the same as everyone else. I didn't have anything. I could drive just like everyone else. Um, it really was a fantasy world. And I, and I really, really just felt accepted there. And I didn't have to hide anything. I didn't, wasn't ashamed of who I was. I was ashamed. My brothers were passing me up. My brothers got their license, and here I was taking the bus. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful I can walk. Yeah, you know, I can walk and talk, and, you know, I can see. But um, the bus in my neighborhood was not the ideal situation. It was almost like Gangsterville. <laughs> and almost like I should be doing like the peace signs. And <laughs> but I, I, I 
I, I can walk. And that's what I'm grateful for, you know? Lots of pain and heartache came when I was 17 up until I was 23. And the more I felt that pain and heartache, I retreated into my own world where I didn't have to worry. And that was hard, especially, I think, for my brothers to watch for that. Um, and I was hurting, and I didn't know how to, how to cope. And I didn't know how to express myself. And all I knew was if I just went into my room, shut my door, and turned up the music, it would all go away. And so when I got anxiety, that's what I did. And um, I, I, I really had to come to a conclusion where every now and again, I would have these episodes where my fantasy world became mixed into my reality world, and I got into some trouble. And every few years, I would have an episode and um, I would kind of be playing hot and cold with the Lord. Wasn't really serious with the Lord. Um, and uh, when I was 23, I had another episode. And my parents sat me down and said, Jordan, there might be something other than just your knees that might be Kabuki syndrome. And all I knew growing up was that my knees were, that was Kabuki syndrome. I never Googled it. I never questioned anything else. I did, however, question what's wrong with me. Starting when I was 15, to my parents, I would come at least once or twice a year and go, I see my brothers. They're excelling. What's wrong with me? I don't fit in, and I feel like I'm the missing puzzle piece that everyone fits so well. And I just feel like I'm the puzzle piece that almost fits, but doesn't. And I'm, I, I just was so heartbroken. And they would always tell me, you know, Jordan, you're, you're, you're so normal. <laughs> normal? I don't know. <laughs> Can you switch to the next slide? This is me and my brothers, I love them. This is PJ, for those who don't know, that's PJ. And that's my brother, Zach. I'm the oldest. <laughs> but you can't tell, because I got the short gene. Actually, Kabuki syndrome plays a part in my height. And I didn't know that, so now I can blame that on Kabuki syndrome. <laughs> I can also blame, blame Kabuki syndrome on my chubby hands and my Flintstone Fred Flintstone feet that I thought were hideous. <laughs> and they're just flat and puffy. <laughs> Peter. <laughs> I, I, my, I told my mom it kind of looks like I like dead person's feet. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> but I never knew that that played part of Kabuki syndrome. 
we all have it. And we all have little things. But so 23, I started down the, down the, the road of the medical journey. Three years. Every doctor we went to and I said, I'm, she might have Kabuki syndrome. Said, no, she's too high functioning. She doesn't have Kabuki syndrome. And I said, okay. <laughs> and so they would test me for every other syndrome. And um, March of last year, I went and saw a specialist in San Francisco. And I said, um, I think I have Kabuki syndrome. And she goes, no, you don't. And I said, okay. And I left really brokenhearted. And my mom called the doctor and said, can you please just give us the blood work? If we're wrong, we'll never ask it again. But this blood work is so new, this test for Kabuki syndrome is so new that there's a 50-50 chance that it won't even show up. So if I had it, it would have to be a miracle that it would show up. And three months later, January 26, there goes my memory thing. I remember dates like crazy. I can tell you what you were wearing five years ago. My brother was being interviewed by the special services, um, and he called my mom to ask about dates, and she goes, you're going to have to call your sister because I don't know. <laughs> and I knew. <laughs> um, I got the phone call June 26th and said, I'm so sorry, but you have Kabuki syndrome. And I said, don't be sorry. I'm relieved. I, I have something to call. And when that happened, I was just overjoyed. I was like, okay, I have something. I have this. Let's, what can I do to fix it? And about a week wore off, and then I got really severely depressed. And I was depressed before but I never thought about what my life would be if I wasn't here. And um, I was seriously thinking about that. And um, my parents came into my room one afternoon, and I was in the fetal position hugging my Bible, crying, going, I don't have anything else but God. I don't have it. You know, I feel so lost. I feel so alone. I feel more alone than I ever did. And I just was crying out to the Lord, and I remember sitting right there, right where Michaela's sitting, and saying, God, you're going to have to help me. And Amanda was singing your great name that day and um, for worship, and the chorus goes, Jesus, worthy is the lamb that was slain for us. Son of God and man, you are high and lifted up, and all the world will praise your great name. And then the bridge came. Redeemer, my healer, Lord God Almighty. And here I was, that third grade girl again, saying, God, you can heal me. You can heal me. And um, I heard him say to me, what if I don't heal you? 
would you still follow me? Would you let me use you? And I said, yes, I would. I would. It's going to be hard, but I'll follow you. I don't know how you're going to use this, but you are. And um, that day was a turning point for me. And I did not know what was in store for me. But God did. And God saw the big picture. Um, it doesn't mean that I don't struggle with anxiety and depression. I do it all the time. And it's going to be something that I deal with for the rest of my life. That is something that, with Kabuki syndrome, it just gets progressively worse if you don't take a hold of it. Um, part of what I learned about Kabuki syndrome is I always thought I was a klutz. I would always fall down, and people would stare, you know, when I would be walking, and I just would randomly fall. And um, that's part of Kabuki syndrome. I realized I wasn't a freak, and these kids were just like me, and I knew that there were kids, but I didn't know where they were until the night before National Kabuki Syndrome Day in October, and I said to my mom, Mom, Dad, I want to go public with my information about Kabuki Syndrome. And they said, okay. I think that would be great. You know, so my dad wrote up something that I was going to post on Facebook, and that night I said to my mom, the day before this all happened, I wonder if I hashtag Kabuki syndrome, if something would happen. Little to my knowledge, there was going to be 251 kids that were just like me. You can put, you can go... Yeah, this is Joshua. That's Ricky. That's my, Kate, that's my little Bells and her brother Noah. And that's Joshua again. That's another Joshua. That's Michaela. And that's my Marty family. I met Michaela Marty when through Instagram, and she saved my life literally. Not only did I meet her wonderful daughter Isabella, who has blown my world and changed my world forever, but I gained my best friend, one of my best friends, Michaela, and her husband Nick, and little Isabella, Noah, and Lilia. This is me. I flew in January to meet Isabella, and um, little did I know what God was going to do that week. I had, seriously, the whole week I was there, I had the Twilight Zone music playing in my head, because <laughs> she's just like me. And they all call me Norny over there, because the 18-month-old the little girl at that time couldn't say Jordy, so I'm their Norny. But um, one day, she was pacing back and forth, talking to herself. And I said, I know that world that she's in. And she goes, and Michaela looks at me, her mom, and says, Jordan, 
with tears in her eyes, saying, Jordan, I can only offer Isabella so much. But when, when kids are going to start bullying her at school, I'm going to have to send her to you because you've been there. This girl is probably the closest thing to me, um, uh, clone-wise. If there was a thing of cloning, besides my dad and my brother Peter, <laughs> it would be me and Isabella, Marty. Um, she is seven. I was seven when they first told me that I might have Kabuki. So um, go to the next slide. This is me on the right, and that's Isabella on the left. This is what's called a scrunchy face, and all the Kabuki kids do it. Next slide. That's me on the left, and that's Isabella on the right. Next slide. That's still Isabella and me. Next. That's Isabella and her sister Lilia, who's the clown of the family, just like someone else I know. <laughs> and me. Um, let's see, next one. The blog. One other thing that God has used through Kabuki Syndrome is this blog that I started in November, thinking... There's no way someone would read this blog. No one would. If a hundred people, if that. Well, today it's 9,300 people. And um, my, what I'm learning is that it's been the most healing. I've been able to forgive those kids that have wronged me. I've been able to find confidence in myself. And I've been able to give hope to these families that their children will grown up, will grow up and have a job, be able to live on their own someday probably, maybe even have a family. But there's not a day that passes that I don't see either my name on Facebook through another Kabuki family. They call me the mini celebrity on Facebook. And I like that. Because <laughs> uh, there's someone in my family that steals all the spotlight. And his name starts with a P and it starts, ends with a J. But... Um, I've been able, <laughs> sorry, I've really slammed you today. <laughs> it's, I guess this was all coming. You know that. <laughs> but, you know, God really has allowed me to see what my ministry is, where I belong. I finally belong somewhere. I, I have a place I'm needed. For the first time in my life, I feel needed. I've never felt that. I've never felt like I belong, ever. And all my life, I was searching for that, and it finally came. And I can't tell you how much that means 
to know that these that that I'm able to give this hope to families because if I can spare these kids one ounce of my pain, then it's all worth it. If God graciously touched me with Kabuki syndrome, I say graciously because he really did. If, that, if he graciously touched me so that I could put my foot in the door and share the gospel with these families and give them hope, I never would be able to talk to these families if I didn't have Kabuki syndrome. I'm given that opportunity. And I think back into that verse in Isaiah where God says, who am I going to send? Who am I going to go? Who's going to go? And Isaiah goes, here I am. Send me. And I feel like that's me. And I'm saying, here I am, God. You can use my broken life. And you can make it for your glory. You choose to use this broken, unfunctionable girl <laughs> and use my life. I'm blown away every single day. And I shouldn't be, you know, in this. I don't deserve it. I'm blessed. There's one song I'm going to leave you with. I'm going to read you a lyrics by um, Sidewalks Prophets called Help Me Find It. And it's really my life song because um, the lyrics have spoken so true to me. And he's helped me find it. And the lyrics go, I don't know where to go from here. It all used to seem so clear. I'm finding I can't do this on my own. I don't know where to go from here. As long as I know that you are near, I'm done fighting. I'm finally letting go. I will trust in you. You have never failed me before. I will trust in you. If there's a road I should walk, help me find it. If I need to be still, give me peace for the moment. Whatever your will, whatever your will, can you help me find it? You know, I didn't think he had a will for me. I really didn't. I thought my life was useless, especially when I was diagnosed. I thought I was useless. Who's going to want me? Who's going to want to carry my burden who's going to want to drive me around all 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 this flood of emotion just came up i have everything and his name is jesus and he's my provider he's my sustainer and he helps me because when i am weak he is made strong